We return today to our study of a phenomena that I believe to be the most formidable enemy that our human souls will ever encounter, and it's that of temptation. Temptation. And I believe that to be so because temptation is most often so subtle and so beguiling that it's able to catch us, each one, off guard. That while we are simply getting about the usual matters of our ordinary daily lives, temptation is able to wedge its way into those matters and we suddenly and unknowingly find ourselves knee-deep within the lure of its wrongful and its sinful behavior. And we seem always unprepared to know exactly how to respond to temptation. If we are of the belief that things just happen to us, and there are many solid believing denominations that preach that, that things just happen to us, then all of the matters of daily life then are random, and they're happenstance. They're by chance, and they're by coincidence. And when we have that sort of mindset, then our lack of preparation can be even more difficult. But in our study of these scriptures, we found that there really is no such thing as random occurrences, random happenstances, chance. No such thing as chance. No such thing as coincidence. And we know that one of those mysterious laws of physics is always involved in every circumstance. And it's that law that tells us that for every effect, there's always a cause. And that's without exception. I want to say that again because this is such an important concept to understand. The concept is that for every effect, for everything that takes place, there's always a cause. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. There's always a cause. Nothing ever takes place on its own. And further, there are no uncontrolled, random, maverick molecules that are floating around out there just aimlessly bumping into other things, causing miscellaneous events to take place. And then further, if we subscribe to the understanding that most all of the matters of life are of a spiritual nature, that God is always involved, even guiding and directing the paths that we're on, then those seemingly random occurrences can be understood from a very different perspective. And yes, in God's sovereign management of this earth and its daily affairs, he often allows other influences and causes to be involved in those matters. These scriptures tell us that if we will carefully examine some of the particularly difficult situations that we get involved in, especially this matter of temptation, we will almost always find that the cause is coming from one of three sources, the world, the flesh, or the devil. And then oftentimes from a combination of those three. In our scripture text here in Luke chapter 4, we find that God has chosen to engage his own beloved son, the Lord Jesus, in one of those very difficult situations. And his situation will involve those very same causes and effects 
that I spoke about a moment ago. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Let me read these words to you again from Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are truly the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment in time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now to say that temptation is wicked and evil, would be a statement that we can all agree on. And it truly is. But at the moment that a temptation is doing its most effective work within our souls, it might not seem so wicked or so evil to us. Seldom does. In those moments, it may actually seem to be the most logical and appropriate path to follow in that particular matter. Recall from our last message that one of the realities regarding the nature of temptation is that we, in our human condition, are almost always being tempted to do a thing that we already have a desire to do. And there are almost always two forces at work at the same time. One from the outside, the other from the inside. Both of them working together to draw us along a pathway towards a sin that we already desire to do. The devil is so clever. And recall again from James chapter 1 how that inside force is a step-by-step enticement down a pathway that will eventually lead to spiritual death. Let me read those words for you from James chapter 1, verse 14. Each one, you and I, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Step by step. There's a natural desire that was born into you and me at our birth. A desire that inclines our hearts towards sin. And each of us, without exception, has it. Our inclinations might be different towards various sins, but we each have 
those inclinations without exception. And until we receive the salvation that the Spirit of Christ brings to us, we're powerless. We are powerless to resist that natural desire. But may I hasten to say again that as we consider this encounter that Jesus has here with the devil, such inborn inclinations were not present within the Lord Jesus. He was not like you and me. He was not born with a corrupt, sinful nature as we are. He was born pure and holy. And though, as these scriptures tell us, he was tempted in every way just as we are, I have no doubt that his temptations were on a whole other level, a level that we might never comprehend. But again, that is not so with you and me. There was a natural desire that inclines our hearts towards sin, born into us at birth. Scripture refers to that as the original sin. Without exception, each of us has that inborn inclination towards sin. And until we receive the salvation that the Spirit of Christ brings to us, as I mentioned a moment ago, we are powerless to resist that natural desire. Thankfully, though, as we do surrender our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit, the one who is called to come alongside to be our helper, fills us with his presence, joining with us to help us to resist the lure that comes from temptation. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit, folks, is absolutely vital to our perseverance. It's God's Holy Spirit who quickly warns us away from the subtle and beguiling ways of temptation. He gives us a moment of hesitation and a means of escape. Have you ever thought to consider that? Have you recognized that when it's taken place? At the moment that you are being tempted to sin, there is this special kind of hesitation put into your heart. I feel it on a regular basis, and he wants each of us to. Listen to these words, the way the Lord tells us about it in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He tells us that no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with that temptation, he will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Folks, God will always do this. He will always provide us with a warning and a way of escape. But we must know also that his warnings will very often come using only a still, small voice. That means that our hearts and our minds must always be listening to the whisper of the Holy Spirit. In even the most common and ordinary matters of daily life, And the more we develop the habit of seeking the guidance of the Lord in all of those ordinary matters, the more likely we are to have ears to hear His still small voice as He speaks to us. And God's Spirit gives us that same help whether our temptations come from within our own souls or from an outside source, especially those that come from the spiritual realms. And that's comforting. To know because those outside forces of evil, the devil and his helpers, they are formidable foes. And they are never ceasing in their efforts to tempt and to beguile you and me. These words from Ephesians chapter 6, listen, verse 12. 
For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Let me say again, as I've said so often, these forces of evil are all very real. Unfortunately, most solid evangelical believers do not take these forces of evil seriously. But these forces of evil, they are very real. These powers of darkness spoken about here. They do roam to and fro throughout the earth, seeking whom they may devour. And you and I, listen, you and I are their sole aim and goal. And they will use whatever subtle tactics necessary to lure you and me along those steps towards sin. I'd like to pause for a moment and emphasize this word subtle. Because subtlety resides at the very core of temptation. Subtle ways and mannerisms have a way of disarming a person's guard. My dictionary defines the word subtle as being, listen, delicate, nice, refined, sensitive. One or all of those subtle mannerisms will almost always be the demeanor of a person who wants to beguile you and me into doing something that we ought not to do. They themselves may not really know that they and their behavior are being used by the devil to tempt you and me. They may just simply be responding wrongly to their own temptations. But nonetheless, you and I get tempted and too often we fail. The ways of subtlety were introduced to us when we first glimpsed the behavior of Satan back there in the book of Genesis. There Satan is described using the word subtle. Listen, this is verse 1 of chapter 3 of Genesis. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The word subtle is translated in the Greek lexicon as a behavior that is, listen, crafty, cunning, smooth. Did you notice that the original Greek definition is not nearly as kind as today's dictionary definition is of refined and nice and sensitive. But you and I must understand that the original Greek definition of cunning and crafty, they are far more accurate a definition. Let me also take a moment and restate the word picture that's being given to us here today. Satan and his demons use circumstances and cleverly smooth words to draw you and me along a pathway where we should not go. Their beguiling ways reaching deeply into our souls and appealing to those sinful desires that already reside within us, convincing us that our decision to follow their leading is the right and the natural thing to do. Those thoughts remind me of a popular secular song a few years ago. One of the lines in that song asks the question, how can it be wrong when it feels so right? How can it be wrong when it feels so right? And note that, that as Satan and his forces seek to take control over our thoughts and behaviors, they seldom ever use force. They seldom ever use force. Yes, they might at times do that, but subtlety and beguiling, far better, 
fits their purposes. And why is that? It's because force often only reaches to the surface of a person's being. And Satan wants to win a person's heart. Let me say that again. Satan wants to win a person's heart. Your and my heart. And subtle beguiling wins the heart. That's what took place with Eve there in the Garden of Eden. We're told in 2 Corinthians 11 that the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. And he won her heart over to sin. Let me repeat all of this again. The most effective way for Satan to reach his desired goal within a person's soul combines the use of both the inside sinful desires of a person's own heart and the outside subtle beguiling of the evil one, convincing us to fulfill a lust that we already want to fulfill. And here I also want to warn you and me that we ourselves are sometimes the ones that Satan will use to beguile and tempt another person. Think about that. You and I are sometimes the ones that Satan will use to beguile and tempt another person. Now, we most likely at the time won't realize that it's taking place. That, again, is the nature of beguiling. But that doesn't matter. We are still accountable for our own actions and our own behaviors. And taking part, listen, taking part in the beguiling of another person is an especially wicked thing for us to do. And you and I must guard ourselves against it. We must continually check our personal behavior. Are we doing any of the things that might beguile another person? Do we ever try to entice, to lure, to woo, to charm, to fascinate another person? Those are all words that the dictionary uses to define beguile. Do we ever try to entice, to lure, to woo another person to do something that we want them to do? Smooth language. I have no doubt that those very elements of behavior are being carried out in all of our workplaces today, in our neighborhoods, in the casual settings all around us every day. And listen, even within our own homes and families. One person can beguile another person into believing and doing things that they should not do. A man or a woman beguiling the other into immoral behavior. One man beguiling another into a business transaction that's unethical or will harm the other person. A family member beguiling another family member, especially an elderly loved one, into a business transaction that has little or no possibility of succeeding. Again, beguiling takes place all around us daily and in subtle ways, each of us unknowingly participating in the wicked plans of the devil. My question for you today is, in what ways are you most easily beguiled and tempted? And in what ways do you perhaps beguile other people? I believe that we need to ask ourselves that question because that is a question that Jesus would ask us. It's one thing to consider all of these matters as general principles, but it's another thing altogether to apply those thoughts directly to our own soul. But we must. 
As for me, in my times of prayer, God will often bring to my mind some sins that I need to repent of. I can recall on one of those occasions that God brought to my mind the manner that I have of making a convincing argument with my dear sweet wife. Thankfully, my wife and I don't fuss much anymore, but that was not so in our younger years. In those days, after we would have fussed about a matter, I would then think of all these ways that I was right in that fuss, and then I would use my beguiling tongue to convince her of how she was wrong and how I was right. And it would often work. Thankfully, God has gotten hold of my conscience in these recent years and my tongue and convinced me that I was wrong in doing those things. And I began to repent of those sinful behaviors. And though I still at times falter and do that very thing, in these present years, if I sense that natural inclination rising up and taking control over my language, my voice, my heart, I know now what to do with that emotion. I repent of it. I repent of it. Now, such ways as that may not be the inclination of your heart. Perhaps with you, it's a wrong desire towards money and financial matters. Either spend too freely on yourself. Under the guise of stewardship, though, you refuse to give when you should, to cast your bread upon the waters. One way that you and I can check ourselves is to ask the question, do I almost always buy things just for myself? When I'm looking at those advertisements and catalogs, am I thinking about what I would like? Things that I would enjoy. And do you ask your spouse before you buy those things? Folks, every dollar that we spend within a family affects everyone within the family. If I lust after and buy a new pickup truck, our family finances have to pay for that just to meet my own desires. Can our bank accounts stand that kind of expense? Will we have to do without other things in order to pay for my truck? Too many young couples load themselves down with things that they want individually and they don't give consideration to how it will affect the family finances. Another question, how are you with your giving? Do you simply look at what you have, consider your own needs first, then give what's left? perhaps to the church or to missions. Another question. Do you even support missions and missionaries in their efforts to give the gospel to the unsaved world? These two matters that I've just mentioned are two of the favorite lusts that Satan uses to beguile each of us. Self, self and money. Two of his favorite subjects of lust self and money, are you being beguiled in the handling of those things? God wants you and me to check ourselves carefully. But how do we do that? We do that as the psalmist did. There in Psalm 139, he tells us to ask the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts. And if there be any unclean thing in me, in us, 
then bring us to repentance and to change. Let me close with this reminder about the beguiling nature of temptation that I mentioned earlier. Temptation is designed to reach deeply into our souls and to provoke us to do a thing that we already have a desire to do. Somehow the devil knows you and me better than we know ourselves. And so his temptation is designed to reach and to provoke us to do a thing that we already have a desire to do. Two forces, one from the outside, the other from the inside, both of them working together to draw us along a pathway towards fulfilling a lust, again, that already resides within us. Folks, through the subtle and the beguiling nature of sin, we're tempted to do things that we should not do. And here in these words that I'll read to us in a moment, God reminds us clearly that as believers, we do not have to give in to it. Listen to these words, Romans chapter 6, beginning of verse 12. And this is a command to each of us. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Praise be to God. Let's pray.